Hello and happy Tuesday, my friends. Happy New Year. I'm Amy Lee San Juan, and I'd like to welcome you to a Cisco Champion Unfiltered episode, a Cisco Champion radio spinoff series that gives our champions a platform to have casual conversations around a variety of topics focused on technology, career, and other interesting stuff. Don't forget, if you like our podcast, subscribe wherever you're listening to us to receive alerts on our latest releases. All right, today we are talking about something I think most of us can relate to, the best way to study, particularly for those industry certifications like the CCIE. How do you prepare? What's the best way to retain the information you need? How do you set yourself up for success? These are all questions that we are going to explore with our panel of Cisco champions. So stay tuned for the next half hour or so for some practical advice, tips, and tricks. All right, let's get started with introductions. We are going to have our champs introduce who they are, maybe how many certifications they have, and if they're currently studying for an exam. Bill, we're going to start with you. Who are you? Hi, my name is Bill Mashi. I'm a senior network engineer for Iridium Satellite. Uh, let's see, I have my CCNP in Enterprise. I have a DevNet associate and the CWNA, Certified Wireless Network Associate. And I'm currently studying for my CCIE Enterprise. Dan, you're up next. Hi, I'm Dan Kelcher. Uh, on Twitter, at Ipswich. As far as certifications, I have something to the tune of like 40 of them. So Wow. Yeah, 20 years in consulting and teaching and all sorts of stuff. So Cisco World, um, CCNA, CCDA back when that was a thing. The CC, what was it? CCNA Data Center and CCNA Voice, which again, both gone. Uh, CCNP Data Center, CCNP Enterprise, and then CCDP, which is also now dead. But uh, as far as future, I have been studying for the CCDE and will probably continue to study for that for the next 30 or 40 years. So what's your goal in life? 100 certifications? Uh, 41. Okay, perfect. Perfect. All right, Gerard, what do you do, my friend? What's going on, everyone? Glad to be back. Gerard Cavallinas. Uh, I have my CompTIA A plus certification, and I also most recently completed over the last few months my Fortinet NSE one, two, and three certifications. Uh, I'm actively and currently preparing to sit, if not this month, next month, for my first attempt at the CCNA. Uh, it's been kind of like a, I don't want to say love, hate. It's been more like a love and I just haven't given it the appropriate kind of time and care and nurturing I should have because I'm always doing everything else. So, uh, the way I've restructured my schedule is now is just my complete laser focus is on studying, labbing. And I, I plan to sit that, you know, uh, uh, like Dan, you know, 15 years in it just through consulting, learning, growing help desk, multiple different roles. So it's given me a lot of opportunities to do different things. So definitely looking to knock that out and then move on to my CCMP next. All right. Gian, welcome. Can you tell us what you do? Hi, hello. Uh, my name is Gian Zhou. I'm a principal network architect with uh, PK Technology. We are a Cisco partner. Uh, I have uh, a CCIE running and switching, CCIE security, and the CCIE data center. So my uh, next plan will be uh, CCDE and uh, CCIE enterprise wireless. Respect. Multiple CCIEs. All right. Tim Bertino, last but not least, who are you? Well, first off, Amy Lee, thanks for uh, making me follow all of that. 
<laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of lot of tenure, a lot of work there. Let's let's see if I can do it. I am Tim Bertino. I'm at Tim Bertino on Twitter. I am a senior systems architect in the healthcare space, and I'm also a co-host of the Art of Network Engineering podcast. As far as certifications, I've got some from CompTIA, uh, Legacy A Plus, Network Plus, uh, Cisco CCNA. I actually did that twice. I liked it so much. Uh, let it expire at one point. Um, and then this year I finished up my CCMP enterprise. So I am, Bill, thank you so much for coming up with this idea. I am really looking forward to going through this episode. Oh, that's a good segue. Okay. I'm gonna, Bill, I'm going to kick it back to you. This topic was your brainchild. What inspired you to raise this topic as an unfiltered episode? And I'm going to guess that you're studying for an exam. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. So this, this topic has been uh, pretty, pretty near and dear to my heart lately. Um, I think the like the cliche drinking from a fire hose has, has never been more appropriate. Um, so selfishly, I'm studying for the CCIE lab exam, and I want to ask you all what some of your tips and tricks are for not only studying, but but more importantly, retaining that information. So a lot of times we'll study, you know, we start off on an exam blueprint and then a few months go by and we go back to that topic and it's like we never even studied it. So um how do we how do we overcome that? What are some of your your tips, your tricks? Um, Tim, would you mind starting off? Definitely. Uh, again, I I'm really passionate about this topic. So, Bill, great idea for for having this episode. Just fair warning, it's going to be a little bit of a rant about to start, um, but I I feel like I've learned quite a bit since around 2020 as far as studying, and I I have really equated it to about three pillars uh, when I approach studying now, and that's really having a plan making sure you have your resources ahead of time. And then like Bill just mentioned, having a method for review. And I'll kind of get into an example. I, I decided that at the beginning of 2020, I was going to start preparing for the CCMP enterprise. And I thought I had a plan and I had my resources. I had the Cisco official cert guide for the enterprise core exam. I had the Cisco on-demand learning for Enterprise Core, and I had a, a third-party uh, video learning platform. So I had all that. And what I was doing is I was going through a topic. I'd start with the official cert guide, I'd go through a chapter, and then find the corresponding material in the uh, the other platforms I was using. And I was just going one after the other. I thought I thought I was, quote, studying and getting through everything. But like Bill said, I was going through a topic, I'd get through it in my platforms, and then I'd go on to the next one. And then all of a sudden, it was a month or two since I had gone through that first one. And I didn't really retain anything. I wouldn't be able to sit for an exam. And uh, then later in the year, shameless plug for Art of Network Engineering podcast, before I was on that, they had an episode with the author of a book called Make It Stick, uh, one of the authors named Peter Brown. And it was that book's really about the science of, of how we learn and how we retain things. And one of the concepts in there is having a method for review in, in a concept called uh, spaced repetition. And that was something I was definitely missing in my, my study path. So I, I almost feel like other than doing labs that was, that was really beneficial in 2020, I kind of felt like at the end of 2020, like I kind of wasted that year. And I did a reset in 2021 and started over and went through and did uh, a review process. And I leveraged a tool that was uh, brought up on that podcast called Anki, A-N-K-I. 
and it's a digital flashcard platform and you can basically take your notes that you would take or highlight in the book and put it in this platform. There's a desktop version, mobile app version, and it'll have you go through these flashcards and give you different scores. You can say whether it was easy or hard, and depending on what you score each card, it'll put it out a certain amount of time, uh, days as you get through them and and uh, feel good about them. It'll be weeks and, and so on and so forth. And it'll, it'll allow you to go through the review process on those previous topics you covered in your materials while still going through new stuff. And you can get all of that kind of going through your head on a daily basis. And honestly, I equate that review process to getting through both exams for the CCMP on, on my first try. So I, I think that that review concept is, is incredibly important in studying and doing as much prep and, and being prepared and planned for how you're going to study, I, I think plays into it, um, as well. Is that, is that kind of in line with what you were thinking on the review side, Bill? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, we've, some of us, probably all of us have been in that situation where we start, we pick up a textbook and we start reading, but we don't really have, <clears throat> excuse me, we don't really have a plan for what we're going to do other than I'm just going to take this one chapter at a time. So kind of building flashcards or uh, the best way of taking notes into that, into that plan, I think is, uh, is excellent advice. Uh, Dan, I know you've, you've mentioned you've taken one or two exams in your life. Um, so any any thoughts on that or any, uh, any, any tricks or suggestions of your own? So for me, a lot of it's the kind of the strategy going into an exam. Uh, first thing when you, if you're going to put your mind to an exam, the, one of the things that I try and do is it, once, once I know that I'm kind of committing to doing an exam, I will schedule it because if I don't put the exam on a calendar, the date will continue to slip. So if I've got a date to work off of, you know, you, yes, you can go in and you can typically reschedule them later on, depends on the, the exam, but sometimes it gives you a little bit of, a little bit more push because now there's a deadline. So that would be kind of one thing. Um, another thing, and I've, I've taught a lot of uh, certification classes, so CCNA A plus classes. And one of the things that I've told students and I actually have started doing myself is when sitting an exam, the first time that I sit an exam, I will go into it with the expectation that I'm going to fail. I've, I've passed a lot of tests. I've failed a lot of tests too. And a lot of times you run into a, you, you have confidence going in, but you don't, you don't know what you don't know. And a lot of times you sit that test and you realize really quickly where the gaps were, where the things that you were maybe a little overconfident or the things that you, you didn't really understand. So go in, expect that you're going to fail. If you pass, awesome. Problem solved, move on. But if you fail, you, you know what's on the test. You know where you were weak. One of the, the recommendations that I would give a lot of people is during an exam, keep notes of the questions that you struggle with. So um, like Tim was saying, from a, a review standpoint, if it's easy, great. But the ones that are hard, even if you, you're sure that you got the right answer, make a note of it because those are the areas that you, you know were, were challenging. That way, at the end of the exam, if you fail, you have a list of all of the, the topic areas that were difficult. You know, try and 
memorize that. You can't take a list out of the, the exam center with you. But, you know, I will I will make a list. I will run through it in my head. And then as soon as I get back to my car, take out a notepad, take out my phone, whatever, write down all of that stuff. And then as soon as I get home, fire up, you know, whatever the, the cert guide, whatever I'm working on and start digging through that to to find those areas that while the the questions are still fresh make sure that I'm I'm understanding or or looking into those challenging areas so for me a, a big part of it is like I said it's the the strategy the way that when you when you go into the exams how are you going to do it because you know use the exam to help guide the study to to figure out where like I said, where you're weak, where you need to, to beef up. Um, yeah. So no power of positive thinking. It's power of pragmatic thinking. <laughs> right. It's, I, I mean, I've, the big thing with that, I've had people that have failed exams and they got so down on themselves from the failure that they, they gave up. And it's, uh, I like am I said, them. Yeah. I, I, if I had a dollar for every test that I failed, I probably still wouldn't have enough to pay the cost of one of the tests that I failed, but still, um, yeah, it's every, like the, nobody publishes the, the fail rates of exams, but I've seen estimates of 70 plus percent, uh, fail the first time on a lot of, a lot of certification tests. So it's, yeah, set the stage that it's it is challenging but that's also why these are why we strive to get them if they were easy they wouldn't be as valuable well i think that's a, just a life skill too right you, you gotta learn how to fail and fail yeah, fast and exactly move, you know keep going dan i think the uh that post exam tip that you gave is is really important i think i saw that um from wendell odom when i was preparing for the ccna is that when you get done with that test have a notepad, something ready so you can jot down because you're going to forget that stuff, the the things that were difficult for you so that you can get those down on paper so you know specifically what to attack. I think that's an awesome tip to bring up. The best practice exam is the actual exam. Great advice. Um, I think we celebrate our wins a lot, but we don't always talk about our failures. And, you know, failing is just, unfortunately, it's some part, sometimes part of the journey, but um, it is what it is and you learn from it and that helps you build your plan and move forward. So John, I'm really interested in hearing, I know you've said you, you have a few CCIEs right now and you, your plan is to, to work on a few more of them. Can you give us an overview or just some of your experience and what you've learned along the way of your multiple, uh, lab exams and, and how you kind of tackled those? Yes, yes. So first of all, I, I highly agree with Stan, right? So I think the uh, the setting expectation is very important, right? So I always tell myself that uh, um, I'm going, I also tell myself that I'm going to fail at my first attempt, right? I think with that uh, expectation when I'm sitting in the exam, if I don't know an answer of a question, I will not panic, right? Because like I already set the expectation that I'm going to fail my first attempt, right? If I don't, if I set my expectation as I'm going to pass at my first attempt, then if I don't know the answer of a single question, I could be panicked. And then it may affect of the rest of my exam, right? And um, regarding the preparation for the uh, CCIE, I think besides the uh, written exam uh, about all the uh, discussion, 
we had uh, regarding how to prepare for written exam, I think uh, um, the lab exam also like uh, um, be a big portion of it, right? So uh, I my different approaches to the lab exam will be utilizing different resource that we have, right? I know that Cisco DCloud is a really good resource. And I also like uh, um, playing uh, with the uh, captured flag on Cisco Live. And uh, also like for the most of the time, I will rent a rack while I prepare for my CCIE lab, right? While I'm rent a rack, I would like to uh, help my classmate doing the troubleshooting, right? Because the the, uh, the scenario is like most of the time, I would think that I, I know this, uh, this topic uh, very well. For example, like I know OSPF from the beginning to the end, right? But, uh, but once I help my classmates to troubleshoot their OSPI problem, they may ask me like, why I have this issue? Why it's not working? Why I don't see the, uh, the, uh, the route entry in my routing table, right? And then I realized that, oh, there is a lot of things that I don't know about OSPF. So it's really a good learning opportunity to uh, help uh, my classmates and help each other to troubleshoot whatever issues we have in the lab. Yeah. And that's one of the things too, like with my CCNA and, you know, I, I was mentioning to Tim and brought it up a while ago in the community that helped him tremendously was that the Anki cards, right? Like for me, studying, reviewing all those certain topics is one thing, but being able to obtain and absorb that information. And, and I feel like with the Anki cards, you could go ahead, okay, take a look at it. All right, boom, that's what it is boom, that's what it is and keep moving on. And then you kind of retain it a lot better. I feel like small spurts or, or bursts of information are a lot easier for some. Everybody's different and learns differently, but I feel that's going to be a lot easier than having one large chunk of info to, to absorb. Uh, for me, you know, and everybody too, just to touch base is like the labbing aspect, right? You know, there's GNS3, Packet Tracer. There's so many different options. I prefer more of a physical aspect. It, not, it, you know, and like I said, that's if, if people, everybody's different, wants to invest a little a little money, you know, you could get some used gear off eBay, a few layer two and three switches, some routers, and really sit there and start. It's one thing to learn the concepts and the different protocols, but to lab them and see them in real time is, is something entirely different, you know, and that's at the NA, NP, CCIE level. Yep, totally agree. It's it's much more beneficial to uh, set up the physical lab equipment because setting up the lab environment itself is a really, really good practice of the uh, refresh of the knowledge. Oh, no, I was just going to say there's certain things, too, from the lab aspect. Again, and everybody takes that different, but I love that there's certain things you can't mimic, right? You can't mimic a failed port on a switch in a, in a virtual lab environment, power issue. You know, you can kind of see that in real time and figure out, okay, well, how do I troubleshoot it and maybe kind of apply that and do it, you know, in a real-world environment. One of the things that I've I found when I was actually working on the, was it the CCNP data center, the kind of the, the troubleshooting version of that was – Without, you know, when, when you think about it, it's difficult to create a problem in a lab and then troubleshoot yourself. So without having somebody that you could, you know, hey, go in and break something and then I'll try and figure it out. I, I figured what I ended up doing was I, I essentially worked backwards. I would come up with a I'd get a lab that was built. It was working. And then I would I would introduce a problem. I would, you know, hey, I'm going to I'm going to turn off whatever feature change a counter or whatever and then as soon as i did that i would go okay where am i going to look to find this something's going to break what do i expect to break and where am i going to see that so if i changed a, a router if i changed a, a peering what would i expect the the changes to look like how would it look on the device i made the change on how would it look on an adjacent device or the rest of the topology and 
basically going through and, and really zeroing in the, the reverse way. But if I create a problem, what's the data that I see from it? And if I know the data that I'm going to, I'm going to find in, again, routing tables or whatever, now I know these things are, are tied to an issue. So it's still getting that same knowledge, but again, you, you, I can't, I can't break my own network and then troubleshoot it because I know what I broke. So if you don't have somebody that you can, you can work off of and have them break a network for you or whatever, it, you can kind of get a lot of the same thing. And it, it also is, it's interesting to see because you know what broke now it's where can I get that information? Where does it show? What's the, you know, when things were good, it looked like this. And when it was bad, it looked like that. So you can compare every piece of that and really piece together that, that whole view. So if you're, when you're troubleshooting, when you're working an exam, you, you know, this table looks like this, this thing is wrong. I already know where that is. I know how to fix it. That's a really interesting alternative, Dan. I wouldn't have thought of that because that, that is an issue. You, you want to get good at troubleshooting in those labs, but if you break something yourself, you know what's broken, right? So you're, you're kind of forcing yourself to decide, okay, I'm going to break this in my lab, but before I go troubleshoot, you're having yourself predict what is going to happen, and then you go through your troubleshooting steps to to really prove or disprove that hypothesis. I, I haven't really thought of that before, but that definitely, I mean, that's still, it's a different way to do it, but it still gets the, the, the troubleshooting going and the whole process going in your head. That's, that's another awesome tip. Yeah. And I, I like that idea of having somebody else come in and maybe break something too. I mean, I've talked to a few people recently who have attempted uh, certification exams and they failed. And one of the common things they've said is, uh, I felt like I prepared for a different exam. And so sometimes having another set of eyes or somebody else present you with questions or tips, I think is is incredibly helpful and, and gets you thinking about things that you don't, maybe you wouldn't have necessarily thought about yourself. Um, so I know we've, we've talked about kind of our overview of, of, of what we do, but are there any types of uh, individual type of resources or besides maybe Anki? that you would recommend uh, for us to, to kind of retain that information. One thing I do when I'm studying, uh, and I've introduced this probably within like the last 90 days is a, a, a Pomodoro timer. And so the, the idea behind that is that you take short bursts of uninterrupted study and you use a timer for it. So for example, I use an app called Forest, which uh, gives me a 25 minute timer. And then at the end of it, if I haven't picked up my phone and I haven't, done anything else it's it's kind of silly but i get a little tree planted and then eventually i'm building up a forest so it's almost like it's like a game in order for me to start studying and then the other idea of the the pomodoro timer is that <clears throat> after that 25 minute interval you take a five minute break and so that's kind of like your reward for studying so repeated bursts or repeated intervals of study uh so just on a very like micro level of studying that has been that's kind of been a game changer for me. So it's not like, oh, okay, I've studied for 10 minutes. Let me take a little break. And then like 25 minutes later, I'm scrolling through Twitter or something. So it's helped me stay focused. Um, does anybody else have a, a, a tip like that? I need that, that for my work day. 
looking to that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's an interesting. We all need that. <laughs> that's definitely an interesting concept. I, I think it's kind of, I, I read a book earlier this year um, that was called Deep Work. And, and it's that whole, by uh, Cal Newport, and it's that whole concept of being able to immerse yourself in whatever you're doing. Because now more than ever, those distractions are abundant. Like, I can grab my phone with the thought of, I need to see what time it is. And all of a sudden, I'm scrolling through Twitter, Facebook, and then realize I'm doing that, put my phone down, and then think, I never even looked at what time it was, the initial thing that I picked up my phone for. So yeah, having having some sort of an application that'll help you focus and, and give those intermittent breaks in between, that's that's a good one. That's something I haven't incorporated, but that's that makes a lot of sense. I recently tried to uh, meditate and about two minutes in without even thinking because I had my phone right next to me, which you probably shouldn't do. I had somehow picked it up and I had started scrolling and I was like, what am I, what am I doing? I'm trying to meditate here. And it was just like a thoughtless process. We're just, we're programmed to to scroll. Right. So one of the things that I started doing, um, probably a year or two ago was when I started taking kind of the, I'm, I'm not good at taking notes to start with, but a lot of times I, you know, just copy paste like a, a line pretty much verbatim or highlight a line in a book, something like that. And the, one of the things that I would find is when going through my notes, if I'm just looking at those things that are highlighted, it doesn't have context. And I'd, I'd find myself like it, I'd end up rereading an entire, you know, page or section trying to understand like why did I highlight this? So what I started doing was instead of just highlighting a sentence or whatever, I would try and kind of condense a topic down and just type up my own thing. And there's there's a couple things for that. One is just when you go through and you start writing it out, you're thinking about it in a different way. How you're you're taking what you read or or whatever and you're kind of putting it in a way that makes sense to you. And then because you're trying to, you know, condense it down, going back through and reading it, hopefully, because now you read it and then you wrote it and now you're reading it again, you're getting that kind of multi-factor learning happening. So I, I found that that made things a little more efficient for me than just straight, you know, copy a, a line of text, especially when copying the lines of text are great when it's you know here's the default timer for this or whatever your your hello times for routers great but the getting into some of the the actual kind of conceptual stuff of um you know especially in the design space of how you approach something when you have to think through why you would do something you know do a instead of b working through here are the pros and cons or whatever that might be um, like I said, just writing it out and then rereading what I wrote later on was was very helpful for me. Yeah. And I think that's like what I do, too. And it's nothing like I mean, that's why I try incorporating different methods. So I'm really glad I'm here because for me, I would just OK, like I took this nice, you know, pretty Excel sheet and I would just put all my topics in there and I would just highlight key ones, you know, BGP, OSPF, subnetting you know, whatever. And then I would just kind of focus on them. And I try to break it down like, like a weekly schedule, right in the midst of life and kids and everything else to see, okay, well, if I'm struggling on this particular topic, I'm going to hone in on that for maybe an hour or two hours, hour and a half, then lab it right after. Cause some people will usually lab some concepts or they'll, they'll study some concepts and then lab it, you know, like later on, 
like maybe a couple days after me, I like to do concept lab and then kind of, you know, okay, let's, 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 let's step back and see, okay, well, what did we do from here? You know, that way I'm kind of doing both instead of not spacing it. I try to keep everything together. So this way it helps me retain the information a little better and so forth. Yeah, yeah, that's a great approach, right? Because like uh, after we go through the content, maybe like there's something that we're missing, right? And during the lab, we can uh, we will be able to find out like what concept that we're missing. And uh, when we're doing the lab, when we're doing the troubleshooting, if things uh, uh, didn't work, right? We can find out why things didn't work, and we can we can try to understand what concept that we missed, what topic that we missed, why it doesn't work, right? So it's it's really great to uh, to do the lab, and right after the uh, the content content learning, yeah. Dan, you were just talking about some some different reviewing ideas, and that's where I think the we were talking about the Anki platform. Those digital flashcard platforms are really valuable because there's different types of of things you can do. I do a lot of the the copy and paste for you know some of that rote memorization stuff, the different timers, all of that stuff that we need to know to prepare for these exams. I also, on the Cisco side, they have in the official cert guide, they have the, do I know this already questions at the beginning of each chapter. I'll copy those in, throw them in as well. But one of the other things I'll do is I'll, I'll try to have some cards in there that are purposefully vague. That's just describe the OSPF neighborship process. And it forces you to go through that open-ended being able to explain the different steps, which I've found very valuable. And those Anki specifically, but digital card platforms really allow you to not only have the trivia in there, but also force yourself to go through some of those those bigger concepts in, in detail. And I do a lot of talking to myself, which I'm sure is weird to anybody who, who catches me out and about doing that. I was actually just going to say that the kind of the concept of like rubber duck debugging, where uh, one of the things that I found, whether it's exams or even just troubleshooting random problems, uh, somewhere, I'm not sure which one's first, but there's Google and then there's my wife as far as troubleshooting <laughs> issues. Um, I will go to my wife and just be like, I'm running into this problem and it's, I don't know, you know, it's this thing. And she will ask, she's not technical at all, but she'll ask a question like, hey, is it turned on? And I'll, well, of course it's turned on. If it wasn't turned on, then it, you know, this thing would happen or this is what I would see. And as I'm working through that, just as I'm explaining that, I'm thinking about it in a different way. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, but this is the thing that's, that's missing. So that process of just talking through things, it, the rubber duck debugging, like just having a little duck on your desk that you explain OSPF peering to or whatever. The way, again, the way that you write things out, it's reading something is one thing, but then when you try and explain those concepts to somebody else or something else or even yourself, it's you're thinking about it in a different way. So to me, that's hugely beneficial. Tim, I know you mentioned uh, the idea of going through like the do I know this already questions at the um, in a textbook or like a Cisco press book. Um, one thing we haven't really talked about is uh, practice exams and specifically how do you you might get the question right. But when you get the question wrong, are you studying those wrong answers to a lot of the practice 
practice exams will give you an explanation for every answer, regardless if it's right or wrong. I think studying those those wrong answers and why it's specifically why it's wrong is really helpful too. Because I've I've clicked that that multiple choice question a few times, and I'm like, no, I know this is right. Why? Like, I'm gonna contact whoever wrote this and tell them. And then it's like, no. Now that I'm reading it, yeah, I'm wrong. You're right. Um, so I think that's that's really helpful too. And actually, one of the the big tips that I give people with practice tests is don't guess. If you don't know the answer and you guess and it's, you know, multiple choice, you got a 25% chance of being right. Well, okay, so you got you got lucky, you guessed right. Now you think you know that topic, but you got lucky. So I've I mean, I've had times where I've I've done well on practice tests and then sat an exam and did horribly. And a lot of it was, you know, lucky guesses where I didn't really know, but I kind of felt like I knew the answer. So, yeah, I've every time I I've talked to people about practice tests, it's if you if you are not 100 percent confident on the answer, you don't know and just leave it blank. Get it wrong because you need to study. And if you're using the practice exam to identify where you're weak, you're, you know, 25 percent lucky guesses. That's that's not helping you at all. Yeah, that is some excellent sage advice I've never heard before. I think I'm going to start incorporating that into my uh, my my playbook as well. Yeah, that's a good one. So we we touched on it a little bit uh, before, but I do since we are this is a Cisco podcast. We're we're talking a bit about Cisco certifications, uh, and we all know how important setting up labs can be. Maybe we can take a few minutes, kind of going through some of the the Cisco certification tracks and seeing what different lab technologies apply. I think we can start with the CCNA. One of the things I really like about the CCNA is, is it's really targeted to be that entry level certification, people that are trying to break into networking. But one of the issues with that is you can't necessarily expect somebody just trying to break in to have a full physical lab rack or understand virtualization to the point where they can have some of those different emulation platforms set up. So I really give a lot of credit to the Netacad program and having Cisco Packet Tracer because I know when I went through the CCNA the last time, it was before the the whole reorg. So it was still CCNA uh, routing and switching or just plain CCNA before they changed uh, the, the curriculum. But I was able to lab pretty much every, I think there was only one or two concepts where I ended up getting some physical gear, but I would say over 90% I was able to do in packet tracer, packet tracer. And that's just such a low bar to entry to be able to, to prep for the CCNA. So I give a lot of credit to that, but I'll, I'll open it up to the rest of you. What are, what are some of our other options out there for labbing things up as we get deeper into CCMP and CCIE studies. So actually just to even pick with run with packet tracer for a second. So Cisco has uh, skills for all now where packet tracer used to be tied to Netacad. So you had to go to like a, a set uh, Netacad certified Academy to get access. Now skills for all, anybody can go as long as you've got like there's, it's like the, the Cisco account or WebEx account or, I don't know, GitHub. or Like there's 37 different accounts that you can sign up with, but anybody can get access to, 
to packet tracer now, which is to me is is hugely beneficial. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think D Cloud was already mentioned. Uh, you know, there's there's GNS three. One of the ones that I've actually started playing with a little bit was um, NetLabs. So it's uh, a basically it's a tool that instead of having a graphical interface, though there is graphical interfaces available but it allows you to kind of dynamically build out an environment and it'll do a lot of the, the base level configs. So when you're, once you're past kind of the CCNA level and you're starting to get into the, the bigger things, going in and just applying IP addresses to interfaces is time consuming and kind of a barrier to doing a bunch of labbing. So you can go in and basically have it automatically build routing, build the, the interfaces, get that base level environment spun up dynamically, and then you can go back through and kind of tweak what you need without having to spend hours creating, you know, okay, here's my point-to-point -point interface, and here's this network, and here's that network, and here's, you know, spend, spend all that time doing the, the tedious stuff, so. EVNG is another great tool, right? I have used uh, Packet Tracer uh, as well as GN3, but lately uh, I've been using uh, EVNG. So it's a, a virtual environment that we can run a different image on, right? For example, uh, Cisco uh, Layer 2, Layer 3, uh, Switch, uh, Router, uh, as well as uh, the Firewall, right? For example, ASA uh, Virtual, right? So it's a great platform. Yeah, uh, I found in my, uh, my studies that uh, I jokingly refer to this as reducing the mean time to labbing. So you have to be so kind of focused on your time and using it wisely that coming up with different uh, tools, like Dan said, so you're not spending so much time re-IPing an interface, like you have a base template set up and in a quick way of re-spinning that, that, uh, that switch or that router up, especially when your lab topologies are getting bigger where you might have, you know, 15 or 20 devices in there, if you're spending one or two minutes rebuilding <clears throat> each device, think about that. That's 20 to 30 minutes you've wasted rebuilding an entire topology where if you had some sort of mechanism for kind of getting you back to a base topology with with those IPs already created, um, those device names, whatever it is you need, uh, that that's a time saver. And that really gets you uh, building more trees in your your forest, so to say. Um, so that's, yeah, that's really great advice. Actually, one of the things that I started doing even back in the, the packet tracer days was the, you know, save often type thing. But every time I would save it, I would save it as a new file. So I would basically create checkpoints as I went where just physical topologies is laid out and that's my first save. And then cabling is done. That's my second save. And then getting the the interfaces, the IP addresses, that's my you know third or whatever number I was on. And I would go through and I would just have different saves for everything that I was doing. And then you could start kind of branching out where, okay, now I'm gonna build routing. Well, I'm gonna build this with you know EIGRP. Well, now I'm gonna go back to the, the save where things were addressed, but I didn't have routing and I'll set up the same thing with OSPF. So I could go back to kind of any one of those those checkpoints or snapshots or whatever we want to call them and kind of rebuild and build out the the branches of the tree however I wanted it to look. Um, and I guess the other, the, this is also a good time for a shameless plug for just a lot of the automation stuff where you start building out the scripts to build, especially when we're talking Cisco modeling labs or Eve or whatever, 
that can all be automated. So create a lab, build it up, make it look like this, install these configs from the get-go. You can automate a lot of that. Now you're you're hitting you know two birds with one stone. You're you're building that automation skill set. You still need to know how the the device configs work to build the automation. And I guess three birds because now you're speeding up the time to get that lab up and running. So you're you're building up skills, speeding things up. It's definitely a a big thing to you know put the time into learning how to automate that is is definitely a a good skill to have. So we've. We've talked a lot about learning and preparing for exams. One thing that I want to touch on that I'm genuinely curious about because I struggle with this every exam I take. So you're at exam day, you're either sitting down at home remote or you're in the the actual test center and you're getting ready to take that test and you start seeing questions. John, you kind of brought this up earlier with your mentality on how you go into exams, but seriously, team, How do you handle nerves? I struggle with this so much. I'm really interested to hear how everybody handles exam day. Yeah, I I have tried both ways, right? I have tried the um the methodology that uh uh set expectation of I'm going to fail, and it turned out that I I did I did my best, and also try to set the expectation that I'm going to pass, and I I think where I consider myself that I can uh, I know the answer to every single question. And when I saw the first question that I don't know answer, then I will start panic. And then like, yeah, it's uh, it's it's really different. So I, I, I really think the uh, the setting the expectation of we're going to fail, it's, it's really helpful. Any, uh, any time management strategies? So uh, for me, it's number one plan to fail. And then as the, it's a learning opportunity. So you're gonna, you figure out what the, what the questions are like, what the flow is like. Um, the first time that I did the the old CCNP T-shoot, I, I failed because I got to the end of the time and I was like three quarters of the way through the exam because it's T-shoot. So I'm, I'm checking everything. So it's I went into it with the expectation that I wasn't I was going to fail. I you know did my best, but I, I went into it with this idea that I was going to I was going to learn what the format of the exam was, what the environment was like, all that. And then uh, I essentially went back, you know, a week later, five days, whatever it is for the retake window. Now that I knew the timing, I knew the what the lay of the land was going to be like, went back five days later, knocked it out, easy done. So it's and I think Cisco exams, because they're um, the adaptive exams, the time management is a problem because there's no back button. So like the. The old, like, skip, the first time I took my CCNA, I failed miserably because I didn't catch that it was adaptive. So I went with the, when you get a hard question, flag it and come back to it. So I got to the end of the exam and there's no back button. And it's like, oh, well. So yeah, all the simulations I'd skipped with the idea that when I know how much time I have. Yeah. I I think I might have the record for the worst CCNA exam score ever. (laughs) Um. So Cisco exams, particularly that that time management is difficult because there there isn't a back button. So you, you kind of you go with your gut and, you know, I guess the, the biggest advice there is the, you know, analysis paralysis. If you look at the question and you spend, you know, go with that first gut. Don't change it unless you can like 
oh, I misread the question. It's actually asking this. As soon as you start getting to that, well, is it, is it, could it be, you know, you're, it's more than likely it's not going to come to you if you stare at it for five minutes and you're going to end up wasting more, more of the time at the end of the exam trying to, you know, rush through because you're out of time. So do your best, give it the best shot, but again, go with it, go into it with the, it's a learning experience. You're not necessarily looking to pass the first time you're looking to to understand and time management is a big part of understanding what's what's the exam actually like. I think for me, one thing I've learned taking them is schedule the exam as early as you can because you don't want to spend the whole day just dreading taking that exam. So I schedule at like 8.30, 9 o'clock a.m. Um, and then I don't study that morning because re- realistically, you're not going to learn anything else in the hour before an exam and you might just end up you know, kind of building up that that anxiety, like, I don't know this as well as I think I do. So just go in, trust that you have studied, that you that the plan that we've discussed, that hopefully you're incorporating into your playbook from now on, um, that you've done everything you can to, uh, to be successful. That's my advice. I know some people would prefer to do it. You know, maybe they want to work all day and not think about it and then take the exam after work. I can't do that. I know that, you know, I got to knock it out right away. And then I would rather feel bad for myself afterwards or, or spend the rest of the day being happy uh, and excited. Um, something I also do is I kind of view it um, almost like a game. Like I want to win. I want to beat this. So I'm going to attack this and I'm going to be confident, hopefully. Uh, and I'm not going to let this test get the best of me. And a few of them have, but that's why we come back and we do it again. I will say I'm kind of the the opposite. I try and schedule tests in the afternoon, um, you know, take the morning and just basically run through notes really quick. Not necessarily as a like a last minute cram session, but just the there's that rote memorization stuff that making sure that I've got um, stuff top of mind, make sure that, you know, it's it's like I said, top of mind. But I think one of the, the bigger things to point out, and I, a couple of us have mentioned this already, the everybody's different. The, the strategies that work for one person don't necessarily work so well for somebody else. So, I, I mean, we've, we've all touched on different things that we've done. Uh, to anybody listening, don't necessarily take this as prescriptive. This isn't what you need to do. Um, this is what a handful of people have done. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, do whatever works for you. Yeah, I agree. We're, we're definitely here to provide options. Yeah, different feedbacks, years of experience, knowledge, different approaches. So look at it as this big melting pot of info, you know, and that's the best part is everybody kind of take what works for them, you know, marry it with their learning style and just run with it. I've got one last point that I'm going to throw out, which is when going into an exam, one of the things that I, I found out actually really early on into the, the cert process was a lot of the stuff, actually, the, the rote memorization things. So uh, subnetting was the big thing that I started doing this with. I basically had a, a table that I had laid out of all the different masks. So the subnet mask and the CIDR notation, and then the uh, how many usable addresses and like all of that, that information that on a network exam, you've got to calculate out. So I, I had a table that I, I kind of had made and I went through and I would just at home write out the table and then, you know, chuck that piece of paper, write out the same thing again. When I went in to sit the exam, they give you the, if you're 
uh, on site, usually they give you like a little marker board. I would write out that table so that before I even looked at the first question, bang out that table right away. And then every time that I got a question on subnetting, I've got my little subnet table right there. I'm not doing the math every single question. I'm, I've got that information there. I've taken that then in things like um, the BGP metric order. I will write that out really quick just so when I get a question, I'm not having to run through all of the different, okay, so what's local preference or like it's, I have it there. I could just look at it and go. So the, like I said, that rote memorization stuff, I've, I will make almost like a, a sheet of paper of just quick notes, walk into the exam center, write out that exact thing. And then I've got that to work off of during the test. Yeah, solid advice. Yeah, I think the 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 biggest advice that I'll reiterate is back to my original example at the at the top of this. Don't be 2020 version of Tim. That that being said, I don't know that you want to be 2020 2022 Tim, but you definitely don't want to be 2020 Tim. I I think it's important to have to just like we we do with network design, right? You need to know your requirements. You need to know what it is you're trying to achieve. And do your best to plan for that. Know what resources you're going to use and, and high level know how you're going to review those things. Now, you can you can change up certain things as you go. You don't have to go start with a path and, and I have to do this. I can't change. But I think if you have that core plan of how you're going to attack studying in the exam, I think that's important to, to take that time and figure that out before you really get started. All right. Great advice, champs. To our listeners, we've compiled a list of what we think are helpful resources. You can check those out in the show notes below. And of course, don't forget to subscribe or follow Cisco Champion Radio so you receive alerts when you re- when we release an episode. I hope you all enjoyed today's topic. We'll see you next Tuesday.